Hello, beautiful people. I'm Patrick. And I'm Wojciech. And you are listening to Brains and Beards show. Episode number five, React Native Libraries that we recommend. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Patrick. How are you? I'm fine. It's 2021. It feels already amazing. It's only the second day of the new year, but yeah, it feels uh, totally different to me at least. Uh, do you have any resolutions for the new year? Uh, no, uh, I have a small kid now, so I don't have free time. So I don't have any resolutions about my free time. It's very, it's very simple living. It's a survival mode from one day to another. Nowadays, I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, the same here. Uh, you, you mentioning survival. I, I like this because uh, I, I read a very nice um, resolution of Shavinoria. Uh, he he made only one point for the for the next uh, for the 2021 and was number one survive. So yeah, <laughs> I like his resolution very much. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a good uh, goal to aim for. Like, but honestly, I did give it a bit of thought like to what do I what am I trying to achieve this year and uh, I decided like uh, cut down on the goals as much as I can and focus on cultivating good habits uh, and I think if I manage to get uh, my in this quarter if I manage to get the daily habits that I would like to have it would be already a huge success I don't need to have any specific goals for that So that's, that's my plan. That sounds good. So today we um, prepared an episode about um, uh, libraries, which we recommend um, for you, for your new React Native projects, which are, we think they are really cool. And what I really like in our job uh, is that uh, we have the space to try out new stuff. Uh, many times we start a new projects from scratch and there's, you know, we can try out new stuff and see what is there, what is new, what else you can do um, today. And that's really something which, you know, like motivates me to, to come to work and do this amazing, I hope, <laughs> uh, programming stuff. Yeah, I was thinking uh, it's for me, it's uh, I, I find myself on Greenfield projects using the libraries that I know and like, like I, tr I reuse the libraries that I, that have been proven. But we also work with a lot of legacy code. And sometimes I'm exposed to I'm uh, I'm thrown into an app that already is using libraries that I would not have chosen myself. And usually it does not make business sense to rewrite it. So I'm forced to learn them. And then uh, some, sometimes I appreciate them a lot and, and put them into my private toolbox. Uh, and sometimes sometimes I just learn a new thing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's a great thing about uh, working in a consultancy and being exposed to, to a lot of projects. Yeah, the, the, the most important thing for me is that you have opportunity to learn. It doesn't matter if you learn only the, the greatest stuff, but as well, you know, you are able, you are exposed as well to, to some problems and some older stuff and you just exp expand your, um, your horizon, I would say. Um, so yeah, today we picked some, some libraries and, uh, yeah, I picked some, which, um, uh, which I come back uh, very often and mostly important in my projects. 
Um, but uh, I try to pick these ones which are a little bit less common. Like for example, I use Lodash a lot, but it's not on the list because it's you know it's super well known. So yeah, no no point in mentioning it. Um, what was your choice for for these libraries? What was your goal? Uh, I actually looked back on the a couple of less projects that I worked on, and I looked into the package JSON and went through their names and. Uh, uh, I made the decision, is it worth mentioning? Is it something that I like? And I picked a few of the libraries, some of them pretty common, but I really like them. And some of them a bit less common, but uh, maybe not, they are not super useful for every project, but I like working with them and they, well, they bring me joy. That's important. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's how I, I made my choice. Okay, cool. Uh, I, I will start because I have one more uh, recommendation, so it will be nicely paced if I start. So first thing which I would like to recommend is not really a library, but um, a guide. And it's a um, project started by Piotr Vitek, but right now it has like thousands of stars and, and many, many contributors. So it's a pretty huge deal right now. And the project is called React Redux TypeScript Guide, and um, it contains several things. Uh, one of the things it contains, it's uh, kind of explaining you explanation of types which are used in React. And some of the types are kind of obscure, like uh, I don't know if many people know the difference between React element, React node and JSX element when, and when to use them. So it's kind of cool to you know refresh your knowledge or just learn new, new things to, to by, by looking inside of this guide. The second thing what it contains, it's um, a receipt how to set up your uh, typing patterns in your application and what does uh, what it achieves is like it makes your app um, coherent in the way that you get a lot of help from from ide like you know auto completion uh, um, compiler errors if you try to pass bad data into functions and so on but without uh, a need that you have to specify all all, all the types uh, on your own manually so it's basically inferred a lot of types by setting it this way so it contains, you know, like uh, how to set up Redux, how to set up uh, Redux Observable, Redux Saga, Redux Sank, uh, Reselect, and so on. So it's like um, how to set up tools, which basically almost every project uh, has inside in the way that it's really helpful for you. And um, as well, what it contains, it's uh, like a helper packages. One of them is utility types, which contains... Um, basic uh, types uh, which are pretty useful like for example falsy or prom promise type and um, but as well like more complicated types right because promise type is something which you probably have to write your own if you would like to type out the your async functions and so on but they are as well like a, mm, more complicated types like for example imagine you have a type which specifies every parameter as required and now you have a use case where you would like to have very similar one a type, but with some optional things. So instead of you retyping everything, you can use the optional type from the package and just specify what, what uh, inside of your parameters has to be optional. And it goes even deeper because you can have as well things like a deep required, which can even um, transfer uh, nested types, which is pretty complicated to do in generics if you are not very experienced with generics. So, you know, you can take a ready to, to um, a ready, re ready recipe, ready type recipe and use them in your projects. And everything what I mentioned is uh, nicely packed inside of the uh, demo playground project inside of the code sandbox. 
where you can see how everything, all these pieces are connected together. You can play with it and see what changes. And if you are not so good in following uh, the documentation, you can basically copy part of the setup and use it in your own project, which is pretty cool. And uh, one of the greatest things of this setup guide is that it's, um, you know, it's all the time involving, evolving. So when new TypeScript comes out, they adapt it to it. They show you how to use new functions. So just by looking to this guide from time to time, you can learn what's new in the TypeScript and how to re how really put the new stuff uh, from the new releases inside of your application, which uh, I, I really value. Sounds great. Uh, I think it's a very timely recommendation because it ties in. If somebody decided yesterday that in the new year they want to learn something new about React Native, this would be a perfect repository. And also, it's a perfect thing uh, to uh, during the winter evening to sit down with a cup of tea and an iPad on an armchair uh, and stare into the dark, cold night and read the documentation from, from this project. Sounds like a very timely recommendation, Patrick. Uh, I wholeheartedly approve. <laughs> and this is a really nice setup you, you described. Uh, that's, yeah. I don't think everybody has it, but it's something to, to, to try to achieve, I would say. That's a very cozy setup. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, also what you mentioned, because of the code sandbox and because of the utility types, you could start using this library uh, without actually having to rewrite everything and add to conform with the setup that he's proposing. So you could start just a bit and maybe in your next project, go go completely with with the setup. Sounds like a, definitely something great to to look into. Yeah, you can definitely, you know, treat it as a basket and you go inside and pick whatever you like. Like for example, right now we have Redux Toolkit. This uh, guide was um, created before something like that existed. Right now, you, you know, you can mix it up. You can take a Redux Toolkit, but uh, from this project, take, uh, I don't know, some other setups like for the sagas or whatever else. So it's pretty cool. Great, great. Okay, what do you have for us? I'm also starting with something that's not necessarily uh, an NPM package or a React Native library. It's more as a service that comes with a package. And uh, I wanted to talk about crash reporting because that's uh, something that we talked in one of the earlier episodes that every project needs one. Uh, and there are many different services that provide it. And I noticed that I think for the last three, if not four years, we've been almost exclusive, exclusively using Sentry for that. And I'm very happy with this choice. Uh, from the level of the platform, because they provide a, a very, very useful free plan while you're still developing the, the app, it might take you half a year. You don't really need uh, like legacy code report, uh, legacy crash reporting. So you can start with the free plan while you're developing. And then later the, the paid plans uh, are nicely featured and they are certainly affordable. The package itself, uh, I remember in the beginning was a bit of a pain to, to configure, but for the last two years, uh, it's much simpler now. The, the docs got, documentation got much better. Uh, one thing that's not always that great uh, when you look at the competition is the uploading of the debug symbols. It's very smooth. Uh, I remember with 
for example, App Center in the past, I had a lot of troubles and where some of the libraries did not uh, even allow you to do it. And with Sentry, it's uh, super straightforward. Just follow the setup guide and it's, uh, and it's working out of the box. So that's great. Uh, so yeah, uh, if, you, if you're not completely happy with your current, current crash reporting, you should use the Sentry React Native package and try it out. Uh, I think it's a great choice and I don't see us switching from it anytime, anytime soon. Yeah, I totally agree. I even tried because of a client, uh, we tried to, to integrate like, for example, Firebase because they have, they bought Crashlytics and uh, they they have error reporting on their own, but it's uh, it's a lot of work and you will never achieve the, the same um, the same status which you get in, in Sentry, like a breadcrumbs and, and a mapping of the mm, JavaScript code and TypeScript code and uh, everything of that is like almost not existing. I had to write like a parsers, parsers which would uh, translate the cryptic JavaScript errors inside into something which is readable for, for a developer. The same for the App Center, they even say that they don't support right now the, the source maps. So if there is something else, please let us know. We would like to try it out. As I said, we like trying out new stuff, but for now we haven't seen anything better than Sentry. So clear recommendation. I'm glad you highlighted the breadcrumbs. Uh, I want to dig in a bit into it because that's uh, if somebody does not recognize this feature, it's when the user is using the app, for example, switching between screens, you can lock some kind of message locally on the app. And if the crash happens, Sentry will send those logs alongside the, the crash report. So you can see what the user were doing. For example, a good practice is for every API call or a significant action that like, for example, if you're using Redux and you're triggering actions, maybe log something on the middleware, what kind of actions were triggered. And then you can easily see not only what the error was, but what the user did before, like the last 10, 10 things they did. And I think they also automatically log information about the latest network calls that you did. So you can see, for example, there was like a five, uh, HTTP 500 error or 404. So it like you got an, uh, a server response that you did not expect. And you can see, ah, probably this, this is what caused the crash. So, so yeah. Uh, I forgot about it initially. I'm glad you mentioned the breadcrumbs. Yeah, it's a, it's a great platform. It's a great uh, tool to use. Okay, enough about Sentry. Well, what's next on your list, Patrick? Okay, this one is uh, a little bit more obscure, I would say. NPM run all. So this is like a CLI tool to, uh, which allows you to run multiple NPM scripts in parallel or sequentially. And this is what they describe it uh, on, on their page. And so basically what it allows you to do is um, to rewrite your scripts because you're going to have a lot of scripts on some point in your package JSON. And uh, this package, the NPM run all, uh, allows you to glob like um, pattern matching the, the scripts and execute them in the way you would like to execute them. Like for example, sequential or parallel. So as an example, let's say you have a, a CI script, right? right? Which you use in CI, which does... Uh, TSC, which is TypeScript compilation for checking TypeScript errors, ESLint, um, and then test, um, which is, you know, it works, but it's kind of clunky in the way that you cannot run the, the parts separately. So what NPM run all allows you to do, it's, uh, it's to refactor it in, in, into separate uh, scripts. 
And then for example, so you can, for example, have a namespace CI and, and inside of the CI, you have CI colon test, CI colon lint, CI colon TSC. And then you can execute all them all together in the, in your CI server, uh, writing CI uh, colon star, but locally as well, you can run everything separately by writing CI colon test, which I think is very neat. And, uh, you know, it makes your scripts a, li a little bit more maintainable and, and a little bit more uh, to the purpose, one single purpose, uh, one script, single purpose. So yeah, I really recommend it. it it's uh, as well it's, uh, <laughs> because I saw it in some projects and there were like a mistakes that somebody forgot to write uh, double ampersand. There was like a single ampersand connecting test with linters. And then you know what happens. You're not going to have error reporting very well in this case. Could you uh, remind the name again? Because you only mentioned it in the beginning and then you explained and got people excited about what it does. Okay. NPM dash run dash all. We're going to have that in our episode notes as well. Okay, cool. Thanks. Okay. What, what's your pick? Uh, okay, I have um, a pick that's actually a package and you actually use it in your React Native application. So we're fulfilling the title of the, of the episode. Um, uh, I would like to talk a bit about React uh, Native SVG. It's, an, it's a library that helps you creating SVG animations by hand, like programmatically. And in the beginning, I felt it's a bit of an it's a bit annoying that you have to write so much code to be able to show a simple geometrical shape. And actually, like the first time you're using it, it takes a bit of getting used to it. But once you once you do, it's a very nice way of creating simple low-level animations. So, for example. Sometimes, uh, imagine loading Spinner in an app. A lot of times, a graphic designer will tell you, okay, here's how the loading Spinner should look like. And you ask them, okay, can you make it an animated GIF and I'm gonna embed it in the app. And it's a wasteful approach because embedding an animated GIF in the app is not only like more work for the app to, to display this animated GIF than it would be to draw its own SVG animation. But also, if you want to change it a bit, you have to ask the designer to create a new, new GIF and send it over and you update the file. While if you're using SVG, you can uh, very easily slow it down, speed it up, uh, adjust the color, adjust the, the shape, the size of the circle, because I imagine there's like something spinning in a circle. So it's a bit more work in the beginning to set it up. Uh, but once you get through the initial learning curve and you're comfortable using, using the library, uh, you can do cool stuff. For example, imagine a financial application and it tells you uh, that you want to, for example, every month save 200 bucks and you only save like 140. It would be like a typical pie chart that would tell you, okay, you're like 70% there. And with React Native SVG, you can very easily make this cool effect that when the screen loads, this pie chart starts at zero and then slowly fills into 70%. It's a nice micro interaction. The, user, the users like it when, when things are moving. I think it's a very simple way to polish an app and it certainly adds to the quality of the user interactions. However, it's something that the designer cannot do with a provided GIF because he's not going to send you an, a different GIF for every, every percentage. Uh, so you can do some, like small graphs with it. The, 
you can do spinners. This is most commonly, I think, what we do with it. Sometimes we do like, uh, if you have an audio player, you want to have an interface where, which like the typical, uh, like volume knob or to to rotate stuff on a circle. Uh, it's also a common usage for for React Native SVG. It's a bit more complicated, but yeah, uh, uh, we use it a lot. Surprising, maybe not a lot, but like basic, we do use it in I think every project, and you don't use it every day, but it has its place, and I think it's a very useful thing to learn, because then once you once you learn it, uh, things that used to be complicated become really simple. I think we had a very beautiful spinner in Sharu, where the, the logo is like an S made up of pie slices. And uh, so basically it was uh, drawing itself and there was an SVG. It was uh, one of the most nicely looking uh, spinners in our project, I would say. That's actually a great example because I think most teams would uh, draw an animated logo, uh, like they would ask the designer to do it in After Effects, then use uh, the body motion to export it and take the JSON, use Lottie to embed it in the app and like the whole uh, workflow becomes complicated. But with SVG, it's like very simple and you can control it fully on the, on the client side in the development team. So yeah, that's a great example. Okay, what's next on your list, Patrick? Okay, the next one on my list, it's, uh, it's a little bit uh, like a product placement because it's our own uh, library made at home. So the name of the library is React Native Animated Code Input. And what it allows you to do is um, to, um, there are some applications which need like a second factor. And sometimes it comes from SMS, for example, and you have to input this, um, this numbers inside of the text input. We really like very polished applications, so we wanted to have it very nicely animated and uh, pleasant to eyes. And we searched for for similar library in the internet, and we couldn't find anything would uh, would check all our boxes. So we made it on our own. So as I said, you know, if you need like a, a one-time password, second factor authentication um, entered in your application, and you would like to have it a very nice way, please have a look. Uh, it even autocomplete. Uh, from SMS. So if you, you know, the device receives SMS, the user doesn't have to type it in. And it is, um, I would say pretty customizable. So you can customize it to your, to your brand design, uh, without problems. And it comes with a demo. So you can have a look how it looks like it works even on web. So yeah, you can have a look it there as well. Uh, yeah. So that's, was my pick. Oh yeah. Great pick, Patrick. Very nice library. I think uh, whether we like it or not, every app is getting two-factor authentication sooner or later. So you're gonna, if you're in a consultancy business like us and you're switching between projects, then you're gonna be writing this code by yourself over and over and over again. And this probably, it's not a complicated feature that it does, but it probably will save you like a day of work. And uh, uh, a day of work in five projects means every week. <laughs> I take my vacation. Yeah, and also the benefit is that you crowdsource the, the subject of auto-completing from the text message because it's not as simple as it uh, as it might be. So there, are, of course, there's uh, some special behavior of Samsung Galaxy that probably you don't want to figure out by yourself, uh, but rather use the dependency that abstracts it away from you. 
So yeah, cool pick, Patrick. Uh, next on my list uh, is quite an obvious choice. Uh, it's a it's a Redux Saga. It's a very well-known li- library. Uh, I wanted to use this opportunity to talk about our usual state management setup uh, because we do use Redux on most of the projects. We did use Mobix on some of them. Uh, We did use GraphQL on some of them, but still most of them are Redux and we we see not much reason to to switch away from it. Uh, Thanks to Piotr Vitek, we have a very nice typed setup for it and uh, we're happy with it. uh, We're not bothered by the amount of extra typing that you have to do to to set up all the reducers uh, and selectors and and things like that. And uh, Redux Saga is our go-to library for side effects. Uh, What I like particularly about it is uh, how imperative the code feels. For example, if you would be using Redux Funk, you get into this uh, callbacks everywhere, which I'm not really comfortable with. Uh, I think the experience you get using RxJS setup uh, is also not intuitive to me because uh, it does not uh, it does not read that well. Like once you know the code base, it is very nice to use and it's very powerful. However, when you're entering the project, I think Redux Saga is the most readable because you have a clear name of the Saga and it's much, much easier to to read. Uh, testing wise, it's okay. Uh, it has some cool helper functions. Like for example, if you use uh, Sagas for networking, uh, which normally, what I would do is I would create a, a saga for making network requests and and use it in all the other sagas. And this saga for network requests would, uh, for example, raise promises to to handle timeouts. Because by, by default, I think timeout is like 30 seconds or 60 seconds, which is definitely too long for a, for a typical user. So you would like to set it up with like five, 10 seconds. And uh, in, in sagas, it's very easy because you just race two different sagas and one of them is just sleep for 10 seconds. And if your network request finishes faster, that's the result. If the sleep finishes faster, an error is a result. So that's, that's one thing. And it's also very flexible. You can do a lot of complicated stuff with it. Uh, it's not always nice and readable, but you can do it. Uh, you don't need an escape hatch. You, you're probably not going to hit the limits of you'd like to do something and it's just not possible. So yeah, my pick would be uh, Redux Saga. And uh, I think I've been using it for like four years now and I'm super happy with it. Yeah. If you, this is like an additional library, which can we can recommend to it. It's called Typed uh, Redux Saga, which gives you... Um, a better types because what TypeScript cannot do right now is uh, infer a type from the yield. So if you use yield and something, then what you get as a result is any. So you would have to type it yourself, what comes back. And with the read, uh, types Redux Saga, it, um, it basically gives you different functions, uh, which infer the types for you. So you save a little bit of work and perhaps mistakes in the future. A great point, Patrick. Great point. Okay, what's next on your list? 
Okay, on my list, the next one is is it kind of mixed uh, a library which I have mixed feeling about because uh, I don't like it, but I see the point of it. <laughs> so let me explain. The library is React Native Splash Screen, and what it does, um, it uh, delays hiding the splash screen um, for React Native application. And, and what? Why is this important? So in the native, old native world, um, your um, application presents the user um, the splash screen when your application is starting. And once you did finish uh, launching with options uh, function finishes, where you have uh, things like setting up Firebase, setting up, setting up the views and so on, view controllers, um, when your app is ready to be seen, uh, the, this function returns true and basically the splash screen disappears and your user can see an act, uh, application they can already interact with. And so this is how it native works, but this is not how React Native world uh, is uh, set up. Because um, in React Native, inside of this function, uh, which I mentioned that uh, it finished launching with options, you only start loading the, the bundle. So. Um, very and, and so this function is very tiny in for the React Native application and finishes very quickly, much faster than your J JavaScript uh, code is um, loaded and um, creating the views. So basically, what happens then? You you have this kind of flicker effect when you the splash screen disappears, but you still don't have your JavaScript controlled application displayed to the user. And what this uh, library does is basically uh, blocking this function uh, from returning and uh, you, it gives you the opportunity in the JavaScript to, to call the command, the, the function, when uh, your application is already done and everything is rendered, then you can, you know, trigger the hiding of the splash screen. So it's kind of a good thing, right? But the problem is that if you are not experienced with the library, you're going to for sure hit the, the problem that if you're you're going to have an error uh, in your application before you are able to execute the hiding of, of the splash screen, you're not going to see the error. So you're going to wait what's happening, why the application doesn't uh, load, and you would expect, okay, I made an error, where is my red screen describing where I have to go to fix stuff? And you're not going to see it because not gonna, nobody's going to dismiss this screen, the splash screen, which covers actually the, the red screen of React Native with an error reporting. And I think that's um, kind of cumbersome and yeah, you could perhaps not use it in dev. That's up to you. Um, yeah, so it's like a mixed feeling. I don't really like it, but I see the point and you know, I don't, I haven't seen a better way um, how to avoid the, this flickering effect. And I think the flickering effect is not something we shouldn't show it to the users basically. Also, apart from the flickering effect, uh, you, you would end up uh, if if you're not using this library, you would end up implementing the same screen twice and making sure it displays the same way because you would have to implement it on React Native side as some kind of loading screen and make sure it looks exactly pixel pixel perfect the same as the splash screen, uh, which you define in two languages because you do a native one for Android, you do a native one for iOS, and if it's just a simple image that that's in the center of an like color background it's fine it's no it's not complicated but if you go to something a little bit more sophisticated than that it then it can become an issue uh, because you you not only would get the flicker you'd also stuff would move a tiny little bit so as you said i'm i have 
the same mixed feeling about it. I used to do all my splash screens by hand because I don't like pulling in extra dependencies dependencies if I don't have to. Uh, but uh, at some point, uh, I think I got a legacy project that's using one of those, uh, that was written in Expo, that uses a solution like that. And I saw the benefit of it. And since, since then, I reluctantly use it myself. So yeah, it's a bit controversial, but I think it's a good pick. Yeah, because it, as well as dependency, dependency uh, what it does inside is more or less basically a, a while through loop <laughs> with a break inside, right? So it kind of feels dirty, but yeah, uh, it is what it is. <laughs> okay, back to you. What's your point now? Uh, okay, uh, that would be the last pick on my side. And I'm, I will try to not be controversial about this pick. And uh, I will just mention that for the, because the, the different teams do different types of testing and there are the different ways you can test components. And one of those ways, uh, it's a behavior driven uh, tests, I would say, uh, where you define, you render a component, you define the actions from the point of the user. For example, type something in an input file or input field or click a button, stuff like this. And then you check uh, how does the component react afterwards? Like uh, you're looking for a text displayed or not displayed or something disappeared or validation error to pop up. And that's one way of testing components. And this is a way I personally think the components should be tested because they are user-facing. They should be tested from user perspective, not using snapshots, not accessing any internal state that they might have. And very nice library uh, that allows you to test the components this way. So you render it, you fire some events that could be like typing text or tapping buttons or any other touchables. Uh, so the library to do it would be uh, testing testing dash library slash react dash native. So uh, I think it used to be called react native testing library, but there was like some mix up because there were like two of them. But basically now uh, from the testing dash library umbrella, because it's a, it's an organization that kind of standardized this, this type of testing. They also have a React Native version that's very similar to their React counterpart. Uh, and this is what we've been using for the last, I don't know, two years or something like this for, for component testing. Uh, and I'm very happy with that. And uh, I think it, I wouldn't go that far that it makes component testing fun, but it makes it fast uh, and useful. So yeah big, uh, big support from my side. I think it's a great, uh, library to use. True. I second that. Yeah. I mean, like if the tests are running fast and, and, and they are making sense, that's, that's what else you can wish for. I mean, perhaps that they write themselves. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think the, there's the prop there, are, there are, uh, reliable property testing libraries for react native. That would be great to see that. I know there are some for JavaScript, but maybe one day I'll try to set it up for react native, see how it goes. Okay. Ah, uh, do you know, uh, what's property based testing? 
it is the same as a model testing because uh, that's uh, yeah. yeah i i think it's the same thing. like you generate uh yeah, yeah. you generate rules about what kind of input the function takes and what ca- and how the output yeah. uh, is structured based on the input and then like you run a lot of random inputs that fit yeah. the fit the model I, I was doing that in c++ for for drega in lubeck for their respirators respirators is that's an english word you know the, the machine which ha- what? Sorry? Ventilators. Ventilators, yeah. For this. It's, a, it's a keyword of like 2020, man. Well, I was doing that in 2000, I don't know, seven or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Maybe unknowingly you were, you benefited to, to curb the coronavirus epidemic. We'll never know. Yeah, I mean, like they, it looks like they only changed the name from model-based testing to, to property. Well, I don't know. I had to look, uh, have to look into it. Because I'm not really sure how similar these solutions are. It sounds very similar. And I think the recycling of ideas in the programming world happens every like 10 or 15 years. So, yeah. so it's quite <laughs> probable that they did like just recycle, recycle the idea and gave it a new name or uh, the name I use is the new one. So yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, how about the last one on your list, Patrick? Okay. The last one. And so the, the last one on my list is the code push. And I think this is one of the most distinct uh, features of React Native and perhaps the, one of the biggest advantages over the old school native way of, of writing mobile applications. It allows you to release an application without um, going through Google and Apple review. Just to, to note it for me, I, I would never re- make a release process only through the code push. I would always release as well to the to the um, Apple and to the Google Store, and keep the the code push just for emergency. Um, but you know, I know that there are teams which are trying to use the code push uh, as a the one and only releasing platform of their code. Um, I don't know if it's a good idea. It's not a part of my point. Let's say. Uh, what else you can do is uh, like a, a phased releases, um, which are more in control because we talked about it in test flight. You can do it somehow, but not really. Um, in code push, you can really stop a release if you really want to and go back to the previous version, which is not that easy in the, um, let's say, t- test flight. And as well, you can do rollbacks and they can be automatic. So if you uh, try, if you try to push a bad code and in the users will download this code and application will crash. They will automatically uh, roll back to the old version, which is super convenient, let's say. And the last thing, uh, well, perhaps not the last thing, but the last uh, thing I want to mention is that the US well can force updates. So if you have like some critical issues, you would really want to patch, uh, you can use code push to do it. Because the, what is the other option? You can do an expedited review with Apple where they will take, let's say, an hours instead of two days to for reviewing your app, uh, which is okay, but they're not going to allow you to do it many times in a year. Perhaps you shouldn't do it many times in a year because you should work on your quality, so that's not in, uh, needed. But, you know, the code push is there and uh, it's very easy to implement. And, and why not to use it? I mean, it's for free from Microsoft. Yeah, I... I would add it to every application, even if you don't want to use it. If even if you keep it only for emergencies, you, you know, you can add it and, and have it there. I have to say I feel a bit ambivalent about it because everything that you said, it's true. Like all the benefits are there and they are great. And as you said, the 
there is no other way to to get quick updates of your app uh, because Apple review is two days probably like on average so if you have a bug that if you have an application like uh, like a, a ride hailing app for for getting taxis and you just launch an update that basically f uh, stops people from ordering rides and the whole network is down uh, that's terrible and with code push you can fix it you can release it as soon uh, as you fix the bug as well, just to mention, the test flight or the app store is closed for the Christmas for several days. So if something happens to your application in this kind of crucial moment, like for, for hay, hay riding applications, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. So, so yeah, the benefits are there. However, uh, there are some, draw some drawbacks as well. Uh, from my experience i think i included code push in i configured code push on two different applications and we maintained this configuration because it requires some maintenance because every time you do a significant change uh it's it's a good it's a good idea to check the update path because for example if you whenever you're doing an update to your app it doesn't matter uh, whether through apple updates or code push uh, you should probably check whether it's a smooth update for everybody because you cannot depend on people moving from version 1.2 to 1.3 to 1.4. Somebody can use 1.2, then don't use 1.3, and then install 1.4. And you you should make sure that like uh, they are okay. And with code push, you have like more possible update scenarios, which probably in some in some ways they they can cause trouble. And it would be probably a good idea to, to test them. Uh, so there is some extra work around it. And in the two projects where I configured code push, we never ever released a single update through code push. So it seemed like all the, the maintenance and the setup were, were kind of wasted time. And I think the reason why we never did that is that uh, the team did not feel confident releasing code push. So Got you. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if you do implement it, you should make sure that like you're using it uh, regularly. So it's part of your regular re release train. For example, the way I would use it, all the bug fixes I would code push and all the new features or something that requires native code changes, I would do a normal uh, Apple Google sanctioned uh, update. So, but all the small things I would be code pushing just to have this muscle working. So when whenever the time comes that you want to use it, that shit's absolutely necessary, you know how to do it, you're trained and it's, uh, it's a smooth process. That's like a backup, no solutions. You you have them, but if you never tried to, to restore stuff from the backup, that's as you wouldn't have them because perhaps it doesn't work. Yeah, it's great analogy. It's it's perfect analogy, I think. <laughs> but just to mention, if you want to have a very lean code push setup, uh, so you just have it in case and uh, you don't really use it and you don't want to waste time on it, you can always specify, uh, you can always release through App Store and specify the code push um, version, uh, which you have to push as well, just to, to fit to the one particular version in the, the Play Store. This way you don't have to test anything because it's gonna be just one-to-one. -one. So there is no there is not gonna be any update in the way that you get uh, a native different version and the code push different version. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's very nice to be able to 
target the, the code push releases. So for example, every time you update native code, you like you do the proper Apple Google update, you would, uh, assuming you have the semantic versioning, the major version, minor version, and the patch version, every time you do a big update, you do patch at least the minor version and code push would be patching the, the patch version. And then like uh, it, it's smooth and you, you can easily keep them in sync. That's a, that's a good point. But yeah, it's some extra knowledge you have to have in the team oh, and it makes sense for bigger teams and bigger projects. Uh, maybe not for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Perhaps I, I put it too, too broadly. <laughs> I don't know if Expo has something like this. Yes, they have. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. They are I, I haven't been using Expo much, so not that up to date, but I thought so. Yeah, they have a similar solution, but you need to use Expo. Okay, so that's all our points altogether. Nine points. Uh, some of of these points are really useful and can help you out in your new projects if you are kind of deciding what to pick and uh, what would be needed in your application. Have a look. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Patrick. It was a very nice conversation. Uh, I think what I'm going to do now is uh, check out the Re React Redux TypeScript guide uh, and double check the differences between the React element, React node and JSX element because it's been bothering me from the start of this episode. Yeah, like in the past, I just was trying three of them and which does <laughs> successfully match the types. Yeah, yeah. Wh Whichever uh, VS Code accepts is the correct one, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes this is how, how you roll. <laughs> but it's a good idea to, to learn what's inside. If you have time, it's, uh, I always like to do, dig a little bit deeper and see um, what is under the hood. It's a great way to, to expand your... Horizons. Yeah, definitely. A repository worth uh, worth uh, at least reading reading through, if <laughs> if not using. Awesome, great awesome. stuff, Patrick. Great First stuff. First episode in two thousand twenty one finished. Yes. Okay. Let's hope we stick to our weekly schedule, right? That's the, our New Year resolution. <laughs> yeah. Now we have one. <laughs> okay. Take care, everybody. Have a great year. Yeah. Take care. Ciao. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you reached all the way to the end, you probably might want to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. You will find notes for this episode on our page brainsandbeards.com podcast, where you can also leave us feedback or suggest a topic for a future episode. We would be very happy to hear from you. Stay safe and curious. Till the next one. Bye.